Blog Talk Radio. Zen Entrepreneur 
www.jeffreyhoffman.com. And he's also going to talk to us today about an interesting opportunity as well. So without further delay, I am so delighted to bring Riz Verk on the air. Welcome back, Riz. Thank you. It's great to be back on your show. Well, I'm really happy to have you here because the the kind of work that you do, Riz, is really helpful for those of us, and this is really all of us, who find ourselves in the real world <laughs> and yet are following, <laughs> attempting to find that elusive path that can feel elusive sometimes. So, so Riz, um, tell us about... Um, your new book and how you came to to write it. Give us a give us a brief introduction beyond what I've given as to how in the world with with such an amazing combination of experiences um, you come to us now with this work. Sure. So you know the book really is a result of, of my experience over the past twenty years, really. In- um, kind of trying to bridge the gap between the worlds of science and engineering, you know, which is how I was educated. I studied computer science back at MIT. Uh, and yes. the business world, where I've been spending a lot of time here in Silicon Valley, where I am now, uh, and the more spiritual worlds, uh, and oftentimes those you know, don't interact with each other too often. So well, what I found was in my very first startup, um, when I was just a fresh grad, graduate, you know, I had a very left-brain engineering mindset, and I started to have these experiences where I would uh, have a hunch or have a funny feeling about something or even have a dream, and then that would end up coming to pass later on. And it started to, to make me question, you know, the nature of reality uh, in terms of, you know, what causes what. <laughs> uh, and I write about some of those experiences in my first book, Zen Entrepreneurship, but really this book is all about those types of experiences, which I call clues. Uh, and as I started to study more of quantum physics, I realized that there were, you know, better explanations there than there are in, in kind of the classical physics engineering world uh, for how this, this might be happening and how we might be getting glimpses of the future. Um, you know, I found that it was just as valid for me to say, for example, when I was at MIT, I got intrigued by a certain technology that was uh, by Lotus, which is now part of IBM. Mm-hmm. And then later, a few years later, I ended up starting a company based on that technology. And now you could say, well, the reason I started the company was because I noticed the technology when I was a student. Or you could flip it and say the reason I noticed the technology and had this hunch or clue about it was because one of my probable future selves was going to start a company in this arena, and it was sending the information back to me. So as I started to explore, you know, this whole idea uh, of clues and where they come from and sending information to the past and the future, that really led me to, to chronicle in this book, you know, a way to have both a left brain and a right brain approach and to combine those two uh, into a new navigational system, uh, which incorporates both intuition and logic. You know, something that, I feel you are doing, which helps us to become more comfortable with these concepts. And and let's talk about that at the outset, because um, we live in a world where we're surrounded by many people who label themselves rationalists. Um, and I know many people um, in the industry, too, that they're friends that I've had from school and different people that are very firmly not uh, 
able to to really accept this this way of looking at things. And so it takes courage. It takes courage, Riz, to 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 really talk honestly about the authentic experience that you are having. And I know you did do this in your first book. And and I guess I want to touch upon this at the outset. Um, um, just this notion of being true to your authentic self and how that relates to following the clues to the path that we're to find and, and accepting that, hey, there's something going on here, you know, observing reality as it is. Yeah, you know, I agree with that. So in the book, I, I use the metaphor of the treasure hunt, and, you know, I'm a big fan yes. of uh, Indiana Jones films, <laughs> like Raiders of the Lost Ark. We can Army. all relate films, to that. <laughs> yeah, and in those films, you know, it would be nice if he just got the treasure map at the beginning and it said, oh, just go here and you can get the Ark of the Covenant and we're done. <laughs> but it never yeah, actually yeah. works that way. Usually he only sees one clue, which then leads him to the next clue, which then leads him to the next clue. And I think we're a little bit like that in that many of us have a sense of the things that we were meant to do in this life, but sometimes it's yeah. only a glimpse, uh, and, and that is what I call our treasure map, which is the set of possibilities that you know, we have and the, the work that we were meant to do and the people that we were meant to be with in this life. And you know, it would be nice if we had it all laid out in front of us, but really you know, this process of following the clues, I call them you know, glitches in the quantum matrix because they give us a sense that else going on here and that I need to pay attention you know, to this thing or that thing. And to, to get back to your point on in, in the business world, yeah, there's a lot of people that are rationalists that I work with, uh, but, you know, the more I work with them, the more I realize they're following their intuition. <laughs> they they yes. use a different language. They call it their gut feelings. Um, yes. And, but they don't use the language that people in the spiritual world do. They don't use the term synchronicity. They they usually don't admit they saw something in a dream or <laughs> that they just have a hunch and they know how to act. I, I'll tell you one story. There was a venture capitalist a few years ago who told this story uh, where he was trying to decide to make an investment in this company that would be able to show video on phones. Now, this was a long time ago, like before the iPhone. Uh, so it was kind of a yeah. risky bet back then. And he wasn't sure yeah. if he should do it. And so he ended up going to a baseball game here in San Francisco. Um, and when he was at the baseball game, he was sitting way up in the stands. And in front of him, there was this uh, – young kid with his father sitting there watching the game and they were right in his line of sight. Uh, and that's when, you know, when somebody is kind of in your line of sight and you can't ignore them, <laughs> that that's one of right. the rules of treasure hunting is that that might, there might be a clue there. So he overheard the, the young boy who was uh, vision impaired. So he couldn't really see what was going on too well because they were so far away from the field. And he overheard the conversation and, and, and the kid said to his father, well, you know, I wish I could just watch this video on my phone because I have my phone with me. And he was like, ah, uh-huh. the light went off. And that was, you know, that's a perfect example of a clue because it's a combination of an internal event. You know, this guy was thinking about whether to make this investment and an external event. In this case, he overheard a phrase or a situation that provided confirmation for him to go make that investment. Now, that's not by itself, that wasn't enough. He needed to do all of the logical things you need to do. You need to show the spreadsheets. You need to show your justification and your rationale. But you know, the more I study you know, people that are successful, I find that they're very good at following the clues and following their intuition 
to become successful. And, and, you know, that was true of Steve Jobs, Sir Richard Branson, and just a lot of people that I've met over the years. You know, what you're saying in a way is something I think uh, we felt this too, a lot of us, is that it's really about translating our experience that, that we may speak about some of these things in, in spiritual terms the more that we become comfortable with, with being in that world. And, and I've been in both worlds, my audience knows. I worked in the software world, and now I'm working in the spiritual world. And, and yet, um, you know, just mapping to the same fundamental human experience that we're having. And um, I think that that would help us so much in in moving forward. And the other thing, Riz, that you very much reveal in this book and in your work and that you don't always see in the spiritual community is you don't advise impulsive action. Um, not, not usually. You, you just said it. I mean, you, 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 I would use the term, I don't think you maybe used it in the book or not. I'm not sure. Mindfulness, I think. As I was reading your book, I was thinking, um, this is a mindful person. And, and I suppose if you could think of mindful in the sense of left brain in a way that, you know, you take these clues and you don't necessarily, you know, just rush out and, and you know, oh, I'm moving to, to, to Florida. Like there's a clue about Florida. So, well, maybe, you, oh, I'm supposed to move to Florida. You know, off you go. Not necessarily. You know, you, you listen so, so talk yeah. a little bit about that. That's very important for, for all of us to hear. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, a big part of why I wrote this book was not just to talk about intuition and clues, which is, of course, the heart of the treasure hunt, but really to have a navigational system to allow you to decide when to act on a clue and when not to act on a clue. And like you said, you know, you might have an intuition yeah. that says, I want you to know, move to Japan. And so what I have in the book is the clue life cycle. And the clue life cycle is a way to think about these different types of intuition in, in, in your life and to get confirmation on them uh, before you move on them. I also lay out the rules of treasure hunting. And the first rule of treasure hunting is, is it unusual? Uh, and if it is, then it might be an interesting clue. But the second is, if it repeats. And that's quite important. And if, if a clue is important, if you're getting a genuine intuition to do something, it will repeat uh, and it will get louder over time. And so I, you know, for people that are very impulsive who tend to jump in, the cool life cycle is a way for them to say, okay, that's great. Let me set some conditions and be a little more left brain because they're always right brain. On the other hand, yeah. for people that yeah. you know, don't act and they just analyze all the time and they dismiss their intuition, this is a way for them to validate those and to take action based on those intuitions. So I really see it as a comprehensive, you know, navigational system that includes both, um, you know, the logical as well as the, the intuitive. And you can't, if you go too far in one direction, you're going to really miss out, I think. And that's part yeah. of the reason, you know, why I, I wrote this book. You know, something that came to me as I was thinking about this is so often we feel like, you know, our opportunity is going to expire in a way that, and I love how, and I suppose sometimes that can happen in life where, where you know, circumstances change. But I love how what you're guiding us to do, Riz, is there's a reassurance in it. There's a reassurance in knowing that, hey, if this is real, 
if this is really something that we're supposed to be listening to, it's going to keep coming. It's going to keep coming. And there's time. There's time. It's not like, oh, you know, if I don't do this right now, I'm going to, you know, there will <laughs> never be another chance. You know, and that's what leads to those impulsive patterns. And you talk about patterns, too, how we can recognize those in ourselves. And many of us may be working with that kind of impulsivity where we jump into things very rapidly and then all of a sudden you talk about someone who jumps into business deals and that just aren't right, you know, and does it more than once. And a lot of us have found ourselves there where we are maybe led, you know, use that term, led to something, but, you know, we didn't really give it the time it needed to, to really listen to what it was and what we were to do. Uh, yeah, I, that, that's exactly right. And I think you know, it's important for us to be able to take a deep breath, you know, and, and make these yeah. decisions both rationally and intuitively. And I talk about the treasure map, which is hidden from us, and we get glimpses of, but really it, it's spread out over our entire lives. And so the clues can be revealing a pattern that, you know, where you're connecting the dots, but it may be years later that the pattern actually reveals itself. I'll, I'll give you a great example that's related to this book. Uh, you know, back in the 90s, when I had written, I was thinking of writing a book about startups, and it was going to be just a pure business book, no spiritual side to it. And it's pretty hard for a new, a new author to get an agent or to get a publisher. And turns out, I was able to get an agent just like that, really quickly. The first one I uh-huh. wrote. And turns out, I was, you know, traveling to California for business because I was living in Boston at the time, and the agent was in California over the next few weeks. So it seemed like there was a lot of synchronicity. And things were moving forward, and, and this is what I called the green light, red light phenomenon. <laughs> so it, was, yes. it seemed like everything was a green light, and things were moving forward. But then, turns out, she was unable to sell that book. So then it looked like, oh, uh-huh. where, what were these clues saying to me? But it was during yeah. that experience that agent said to me, well, you know, think about this. What's the book you really want to write? And, and I thought about it, and I thought, you know, I'd like to write a book about synchronicity and business. That was my answer to her. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, I probably wouldn't have thought about it if she hadn't asked that question. Well, so now here we are 20 years later, and Treasure Hunt is that book about synchronicity and business that I thought about, you know, all those years ago. And so you can see there's a 20-year pattern related to writing, business, synchronicity, uh, East Coast, West Coast, that's part of my personal treasure map and, and my pattern. So So that's you know, one one big thing I think that you were just touching on there, which is that, you know, we will be called to come back again and again. Uh, and sometimes, you know, one of the rules of treasure hunting is that sometimes a clue will indicate a direction, but not necessarily yeah. the timing. Right? And sometimes it will indicate timing, but not direction. So it's important to not, not get discouraged. Um, and then the other thing that you, you touched upon, which I spend the whole chapter on, is this idea of our personal patterns and how they sometimes yeah. get in the way. And sometimes we think we're following an intuition, but really we're just repeating our internal patterns. And it's important for us to recognize that scenario. And so I call those (laughs) anti-clues, which are ways for us to realize we're doing the same thing again and again. Uh, And these patterns happen in business. They happen in relationships, right? We all know the person who ends up in a similar kind of relationship again and again. Yes. Um, and, yeah. it, you know, the external patterns are a reflection of our internal patterns. And so there was that example. There was a, there was a woman, you know, actually called in on a radio show that I was on, I think, a few years ago, 
And she said, well, yeah, I was getting these business relationships, and then I can't get out of them when they go sour. And I said, well, has it right. happened three times? And she goes, yeah. I said, okay, that's an external pattern because it's happened at least three times. Now, what, let's look at the internal pattern. And so I asked her, you know, what happens when she's about to get into those business relationships? And she, goes, and she said, well, I meet with them. We exchange ideas. I think it's great. I get really excited. And I said, well, what does that feel like? And she kind of described the sensations of excitement and what it feels like to start you know, in a new project and to sign up for a new business relationship. And I said, great, there's your clue. You can use that clue as an anti-clue <laughs> to say that when that happens, you, know, you should step back the next time that happens. And instead of signing the business relationship, you give yourself a certain set of conditions that say, okay, I'm going to take a deep breath. Okay, next week or the following week, I'm going to consult with somebody else before I get into this relationship, this business relationship. Uh, and yeah. so, you know, that's a way for her to still get into the business relationships that she should get into, but avoid some of the ones she shouldn't. And I, I say in the book that our patterns are like dragons, right? And there's a great Chinese saying about dragons, which is that if you try to fight the dragon, you know, it will defeat you. If you try to feed the dragon, well, then it's going to eat you probably. <laughs> but if you learn <laughs> to ride the dragon, you know, then you can take advantage of its might and its power. And so our internal patterns aren't all bad. In fact, you know, that pattern that she could get excited and really, you know, come up with new ideas to start a business relationship, that was a strength of hers. Uh, and, I, and I had a very similar pattern in my own life and, and my business relationships um, where I started to do too many projects. And that was a strength of mine is that I can jump into something new really quickly. In my case, I'd get bored yeah. with it and want to move on to the next thing. And so as I uh-huh. noticed that, you know, it's important that we leverage those strengths. And so, you know, I think this, this uh, metaphor of dragons is a good one. And when I was in China, uh, a couple of years ago, I was in, at a temple in Shanghai, an ancient temple, and I saw the statue of the dragon, and they always had something under their paws. And I said, well, under the claws, what is that? And they said, well, that's the pearl, and every dragon has a pearl that it's guarding. And so that's a good way to think about it. If our patterns are like dragons, there's a pearl there, which is our strength. We just need to make sure that strength stays a strength and doesn't turn into a weakness. Yes, yes. And, you know, it may seem a subtle point, but it can really derail us when we do get caught up in these patterns because they feel comfortable. They're patterns. Um, you know, they, they, they have, and we can misinterpret that comfort as following the clues. And what you lay out in your book is um, really multiple rules, a, a whole series of rules um, as to how we can follow our treasure maps, essentially. And I, I appreciate that, um, you know, you, you revealed to us that life isn't meant, we're not meant to find the treasure immediately. That, that and, and maybe this does get into some of the spiritual aspects of the book, too. I mean, we came here, um, assuming that you believe in, those of you out there, depending on your belief systems, but I believe this, that, that you know, before we were here, we we had a plan, and we came here for a reason. We didn't come here just – we would have stayed over there if we just wanted everything instantly. <laughs> and, you know, wherever <laughs> over there is. So it's – we're here to, to discover and grow. So, so let's jump into yeah. um, some of the ways that these clues – come to us. Um, let's explore those, those different ways that, that we can find clues in our environment. Sure. And, and before we do that, just to follow up on what you were saying about the yeah. things oh, we yeah. were meant Please to do, do. Uh, you know, I, I, I write a little bit about 
you have two chapters on, you know, where do these clues come from? And one is from more of a spiritual perspective. One is more from a scientific perspective. And in the spiritual perspective, you know, many people do believe that we have this treasure map set up for us before we're born. And then, you know, in the ancient Buddhist traditions, we cross the river of forgetfulness where we forget all those things that we were meant to do and, and we can only catch glimpses of them. And in the Chinese traditions, there's actually a goddess, Meng Po, who brews the tea of forgetfulness that we drink uh, before we're born. And once again, we forget, you know, all these things in our mission to be here because we're meant to be able to discover and solve these problems and follow the clues and interact yeah. with certain people. And, and so I found that a really interesting model. And, you know, if you look at the work of Michael Newton, who wrote Journey of Souls, who did a lot of uh, hypnotic regression, as well as Brian Weiss, who wrote Many Lives, Many Masters, they both have regressed people to before they were born to that in-between time. And they both found that there was kind of a planning session right, where yeah. it would lay out, you know, the, the major events that might happen in this life, but also the little clues that, oh, you know, this is someone you should pay attention to. You know, it might be a necklace, the sound of a laugh, a bicycle. Yeah. It could be something that they're wearing in the scene. And then we cram and those are stuck into our unconscious in such a way that when that moment happens in our life, we're sure to recognize it. You know, and we've all had feelings and, and now transitioning to the, to the way we perceive these clues. You know, it could be feelings of deja vu that you've been in a place before could be, yeah. you know, um, uh, the uh, old-fashioned hunch about something. could be an actual little voice. Uh, could be in a dream. I mean, many of uh, these major clues that I've had in my life have come in dreams, and then you validate that with something in the real world. And, you know, this I, I write about one of the dreams that really threw me for a loop early on as I was exploring business and spirituality was that, you know, I had this dream one day. We had a startup and I had a dream about one of our competitors, and I hadn't yeah. seen that competitor in probably a year, and I hadn't thought about him. And so I woke up thinking, well, that's an odd dream. And, and that gets to the first rule of treasure hunting. Is it odd or unusual, right? If you dream about something all the time, it's probably more metaphorical. But in this case, it was odd to see that, that one person who had been a competitor uh, in a dream because nobody had been talking about him with me. And then I got to the office that morning, and I got a call from somebody at, at Lotus, which is now IBM, saying that, oh, we just wanted to give you a heads up. You know, we have this product that's competitive to yours. We could end up crushing your product. We just wanted to, to warn you. And I said, well, how come I haven't heard about this before? And he said, oh, well, it's because we bought that competitor of yours in Seagirt a year ago, and we're just now releasing the product. And I thought, uh-huh. you know, in addition to being, being upset about the product, <laughs> I thought, well, that's yes. odd, right? <laughs> I dreamt about him in the morning. And then that very same day, like just a couple hours later, I got the call. So it was a case where there was some bigger pattern and, and that was bleeding into my dream state and the clues were there. And it, for me, that was a clue that, you know, it's important to pay attention to dreams and it's important to, to validate clues with something in the real world. And so that was a perfect example of an inner event and an outer event coinciding yes. in an a-causal way, which is how Jung defines synchronicity, which is an a-causal or me- and meaningful coincidence. We don't, the dream didn't cause them to call me, but it's possible the fact that they were going to call me caused the dream to happen. And so now we're into the past and the future, what causes what, right? The future event might have caused the past event in this case. Yes, yes. That, you know, that gets into some really deep concepts when and you get into this towards the end of your book i know um and you said this right at the introduction and i was going to pick up on on it talking about 
our probable future selves, I think was the way that, that you put it, um, and and this business of, um, and maybe we're we're really jumping into the multidimensional depths here for a second, but um, you you got me really pondering this because I've been reflecting on this a lot. Um, this notion of timelines, and this could be a whole other show, really, um, but it all relates to how these clues come to us and what our paths actually are in a in a greater understanding of reality and it's 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 because you keep you've said more than once the future communicating to the past essentially and you know um, on this show we've often talked about the illusion of time and many people have talked about that illusion of linear time and yet there's this notion of timelines yeah, it's a really interesting. You know, the more you study it, you know, the more you realize our common sense uh, ideas about the world are, are are not actually how it is at, at the quantum level. And there's a there's a quantum physicist named Fred Allen Wolf who I quote in the book, and he yeah. says that our minds are time yeah. machines, able to sense the flow of possibility waves from both the past and the future. Now, I think. You know, an even more fun quote is from Alice in Wonderland, where the White Queen says, "It's a poor sort of memory that only works backwards." Right? Um, yeah. But, you know, yeah. in, in in quantum physics, there's this idea that every time we make a decision, uh, it branches out the universe into parallel worlds, uh, and so there's this possibility that there are multiple versions of us, right, doing different things. You know, so I'm here in California. Maybe there's a version of myself that was in Boston. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur in this life, but I can sense there's you know another version of me that might be more of an academic that stayed to become a professor, yes. and, I, and I feel those tendencies. Right? Now those are big decisions. There's obviously a lot of small decisions, you know, like should I have eggs or oatmeal this morning, right? Which are probably not right. as consequential, but according to quantum physics, they still branch out the universe. And, and I was in a meditation on you know meditating on this a few years back, and I got uh, a symbol that looked like a diamond. And I thought, huh, what, what what is that all about? And I had been thinking about quantum physics, and I realized, well, the bottom part of the diamond is branching out into two different paths. And then the top part is brand, is merging together. So, you know, when we make inconsequential decisions, I think the universe is just merged back together, and we're still on that main timeline. But it's also possible for us to end up in the same place or one of the places we were meant to be uh, and have you know, different paths to get there. And I laid out like a grid in my book that kind of shows you know, how this might work. But but the interesting thing is that, you know, when you look at quantum physics, one of the concepts is that there are multiple probable futures that are sending information back to us in, in time to the present. And there's a probability wave or the, or the quantum, uh, quantum foam, as it's sometimes called, which is the set of all probabilities. And, you know, those have different probabilities based upon where we are today and the choices that we made in the past. Uh, and the question is, well, which of those future selves is going to come to pass in, in this particular timeline? And the answer is, well, it depends on the mind because the mind is what senses that information coming back. And so the one that you pay attention to is the one that tends to be more likely the one to happen. So this is a little bit of a different spin on things like the law of attraction and manifestation, 
where it's not so much about creating this reality versus that reality. It's rather about the fact that multiple realities exist, some more likely than others already, and we're navigating using the only instrument capable of perceiving these different realities is the mind. Uh, And if I could, I could tell a little story about a Star Trek episode that I think demonstrates this really well. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm a big big fan of science fiction. And yep. yeah, it demonstrates this idea of different timelines. So uh, in this one episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, the Enterprise, which is led by Captain Picard, comes across miraculously an older version of the Enterprise, which was destroyed, let's say, 100 years ago or, or some time ago, uh-huh. or 50 years ago. And it was supposed to have been destroyed, but the current... Enterprise says, well, well, we'll save you. It was supposed to have been destroyed by another race like the Klingons. And so they decide to save that Enterprise. Well, unbeknownst to them, they just changed the timeline. And what happens is suddenly we're in a whole different timeline where everybody's at yeah. war. And so the Enterprise, as we know it, doesn't really exist. It's, it's uh, you know, they're in constant war with the Klingons. And there's an alien on board, played by Whoopi Goldberg, uh, who is able to sense with her mind that something is off about this reality, right? So she's really sensing that there was a parallel reality, another timeline, which, of course, is the timeline we've all been watching on the show where they're not constantly at war. And she helps them to realize that, you know, they have to basically let that old enterprise go back and be destroyed as it happened on that timeline. Uh, And then suddenly the timeline is destroyed and they're back to the enterprise that we know. So, you know, I think it's an interesting story for many reasons. One, it demonstrates this idea of multiple timelines, information from the past and the future, but also it shows us that the one way we can sense these different timelines and parallel worlds and future selves is through the mind. You don't have to be an alien or a famous Hollywood actor like Whoopi Goldberg <laughs> to do that. <laughs> we all get hunches. We all get these funny feelings, these feelings of deja vu. Uh, and those are the clues uh, that we need to tune into uh, that could help us, you know, discover our per- very personal treasure map. Yes, yes, and and you know, at risk of of getting too multidimensionally abstract, one of the things, and and it really isn't abstract because it brings us back to ourselves. Is one of the things I have felt when you start reflecting on the timelines, and you know, whether um, it, it sometimes it can pull meaning out of our lives if we're not careful is that it starts to trivialize our experience because you're like, well, you know, we're just surfing these times. It's like we're just playing a video game. you know, and, then, and yet that's not the idea, is that our lives are meant to have purpose and meaning. And, and the other thing I think that can happen is we can say to ourselves, like, what the heck is going on in this world right now, for example, like with all these nuclear war scenarios that, I mean, talk about nightmares reappearing for many of our youths, you know, that that we thought we didn't have to think about anymore. Well, we can think, how did we get on this horrible timeline, (laughs) you know, that all this stuff is going on? Or we can say, um, right. And, you know, is it collect? Uh, you know, we better be careful. We're going to go down. I'll have to bring you back just for a show on this. <laughs> but <laughs> but let's bring it back to um, we are here having a meaningful experience personally, and we're here to grow. And, and yes, this timeline exploration, what it means with respect to that experience, that is it's it's a very powerful thing to explore, but 
ultimately we are here, and you say this very powerfully in your book, to to find those places where, you know, we're doing meaningful work in our lives and, and we're growing meaningfully and in a space of integrity and, and where we want to be. So, um, and um, these, yeah, this think- clue life cycle helps us to, to navigate. So navigating the clue life cycle helps us to find that path of meaning. I think that's right, and uh, you know, uh, I won't comment too much on the the nuclear war scenario. <laughs> but, yeah, please. You know, it's, <laughs> it, 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 but it's possible that you know there are other timelines where something like that has already happened. So in this timeline, we've delayed it and not had it yet. So <laughs> right, right. You know, well, and hopefully we won't have. It. <laughs> yeah, and we, and we won't yeah, have we, it exactly. Or we need to be jumping. We need to be jumping um, off of this one. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we need to navigate to another one. But I think the clues, yeah, you know, are there. The third rule of treasure hunting is that the clues are very subjective for each of us. Yeah. So you and I can walk into a library, a bookstore, uh, a party, and we'll be drawn to different people, different books, different ideas. Uh, and that's the yes. important point is what is your mind drawn to in the moment, you know, for the immediate clue? And then as you reflect on the clue life cycle, what is your mind drawn to again and again uh, that is part of your larger pattern. And I'll give you another example of, a, of what looked like a relatively small clue, but it's been kind of a major one for me over the years. So back, back in the 90s, I was thinking of, I was living in Boston, and I was thinking of spending some time in California. Uh, but of course, it's not that easy to you know, live on both coasts, especially you know, I was in my 20s, I didn't really have any money. <laughs> and so I was trying to figure out yeah. if there was a way to do this. And uh, and I wasn't sure if I should do it. And as I was uh, going around New England, I started to notice all these mermaids everywhere. I said, huh, that's interesting. And when I say mermaids, I mean statues of mermaids. I didn't see actual mermaids. <laughs> but I started to notice them. And it turns out they were there all along, right? In New England, you know, yeah. there's a lot of seafood restaurants. There's a lot of seaside towns. And I had been to all those towns, but I'd never really noticed these mermaid statues before. And so... You know, looking at the first rule of treasure hunting, was it odd? It was unusual enough that I took notice of it. Second was, you know, did it repeat? And it did because I kept noticing these mermaids. Uh, and then, you know, at that point, the next stage of the clue life cycle is to come up with an interpretation. Just like you might interpret a symbol in a dream and say, well, what is this clue trying to tell me? You know, before you take action. And, and I thought about it and I thought, well, you know, to me, a mermaid is someone who lives in, in multiple worlds, right? Half yeah. fish, half human. Uh, and uh, I was contemplating, you know, living on the East Coast and the West Coast. And so there was an immediate kind of confirmation or answer for me, and and clues are subjective. So that meant something to me that would be very different than it might mean to you or to somebody else. But over the years, I realized that it hasn't been just about, you know, the East Coast versus the West Coast. It's also about East and West. And a lot of my work has been about bringing these Eastern concepts like meditation, mindfulness, uh, into this very Western rational world of science, engineering, and business, you know, which is where, where I spend a lot of time. So I've really been living in kind of two different worlds, metaphorically, you know, as well as literally. And that was a clue from many years ago. And actually, you know, this year, after having spent the last 10 years in California, I, I went back to Boston uh-huh. this summer to teach a program uh, about startups at MIT. 
called Play Labs. And, and again, I was getting back to that being able to live on both coasts, which is something that I had thought about right. many years ago and I tried out back then and I had gotten the confirmation of the clue. Uh, and so that clue is what psychologists might say is overdetermined, uh, which means that it has more than one meaning. Uh, and the yeah. clue life cycle allows for that. You know, it's meant to be a fun process. Even though there is a methodology there, it's not meant to be a rigid process, right? Sometimes you might act and then get confirmation. Other times you might interpret, wait, and then act. And so it's important that we go through the stages of the clue life cycle and we realize that overall, as you add the clues together, they're really revealing a lot about who we were meant to be. Uh, and part of you know, my role in this life, as I view it, and the thing I keep coming back to is this idea of bridging the world. Uh, and that's why it was a powerful symbol for me. And, of course, everybody has their own symbols as they start to notice. They'll start to pay attention to them. Yeah. Yes. And, and you know, I think that, that we find that um, this multidimensional experience that we're having, because really when we start to notice these clues, and, and they're really, you know, looking at this from, from a scientific, technological mind perspective of like who I don't know if I ever really was that way but um, they they come to you in ways that are statistically impossible (laughs) essentially I mean they're just really (laughs) obvious like that's a coincidence okay that is a coincidence you know whatever the thing is and then you have to think about it and say well what does it mean and I do this a lot sometimes, and you talk about this in the book, and you just went through an exercise explaining this, is that sometimes it's symbolic, and sometimes it's very literal, and sometimes it's like, okay, I know this is referencing um, some things that are obvious, but what I'm supposed to do with those things, I don't know. <laughs> I just know that, you know, the reference is clear. So, and, and I think your book helps us to take the time with that. And and with these rules, which we'll never be able to get through in a show, in fact, I do want to communicate that to the audience, that this is a very approachable and also in-depth book in the sense of, you know, it's easy to navigate through what you are teaching us in this book, but there's a lot of information in there that's powerful. And so we'll only be able to touch upon it today, but um, these rules are very helpful to pay attention to. And I'm just beginning to... To, to learn about your rules um, and and yet see very meaningful things that will help us. But, yeah, this business of, and this is what we run into the most, Riz, I feel like. It's like, okay, yeah, this is crazy, these things that are showing. I don't know if I want to use that term, although sometimes you want to. Uh, this is showing up. What does it mean? What in the heck does it mean? Sometimes you just get to the point of what does it mean, you know, where where you really <laughs> – Want right. to know because it's right. like there's that building point where something's going to happen. Maybe you know you're at that big, um, you, you know, when you talk about big clues. Let's talk about that and and um, what they yeah mean sure and and how you know yeah, you're seeing those. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think you touched on a lot of points there. I mean, some of these things are statistically highly unlikely, you know, like I mentioned. Yes. You know, my having that dream about the competitor on the day that they told me about it, right? <laughs> you could try to come up with a right. rational explanation, you know, but, but the reality is there's something else going on, in, in my opinion. Uh, and I think that's important. Yes. Uh, and, and because they're subjective, though, you know, that's important to understand as well, that the interpretation is really up to the person. I'll, I'll give you another example. This was not necessarily a big clue, but it was a small clue. A friend of mine in Arizona, 
was watching a movie that was about taking a pilgrimage. You may have even seen it. It's called The Way. Uh, it's about the Camino uh-huh. de Santiago in, 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 in Spain. I think Martin Sheen is in it. And she noticed some seashells in the movie for some reason. An odd detail to notice. <laughs> but it really stuck out for her. And she lives in Arizona, which is, you know, not by the ocean. And she went yeah. to her driveway the next day, and she, before she got in her car to go to work, she saw a seashell. She's like, wow, that's odd. <laughs> okay, so, you know, that's the first rule of treasure hunting. Is it odd or unusual? And then she looked around because, yeah. you know, it kind of sparked a feeling in her. Again, a clue is something internal and something external. There's some coincidence, co- not necessarily coincidence, right, that they're happening at the same time. They're coinciding. Uh, and it gives you a funny feeling. And then she looked around and she found another uh, seashell. And then she was about to get in her car and go to work when she found another one. And she said, wow, now that's three times. That's really odd. So she picked up all three, took a picture of them, and then went to work. <laughs> right? And so, you know, you were asking the question, well, what does this mean? And so she was contemplating that for a while. Uh, and then, you know, she she realized that, you know, the movie she had seen, the link was going on a pilgrimage. Uh, and she had been feeling that she really wanted to do something like that. Now, she couldn't make it out to uh-huh. Spain in that case. But you know, she realized that her daughter was going through some tough times. Uh, and so she ended up taking her daughter to Sedona on a trip that was kind of like a little pilgrimage for them together. And so that was, you know, part of this pattern that's emerging where, you know, there can be multiple interpretations, but that one was clearly pointing her towards some kind of pilgrimage. And, and she ended up honoring that by taking an action and, and saying, this is what I think the clue is telling me. And that ended up being, you know, a whole other story in and of itself with the pilgrimage with lots of coincidences and synchronicity. But I thought that was a great story because it was relatively unusual. So, yeah. Yes, yes. You know, as you've been speaking and, and this notion of acting, I want to get into that too um, before this hour passes. But I, I can't help but tell you what popped into my mind as we're talking, which will relate very much to some of the work you've done too, is you know the scene in the original Close Encounters um, where he keeps Well, you know, I saw that movie. They released it recently. Oh, well, there you go. Another synchronicity. Uh, um, (laughs) You know, there's a point where he gets to that point of, like I just explained, what? What did, what does it mean? You know what I mean? He keeps looking. He sees the symbol, and he knows that it's important. It's important in some way to his meaningful path. And and he That's gets right. a little bit frustrated even. You know, it's like, what in the heck? You know, when you talk about we have our Obi-Wan Kenobis, our inner mentors, you know, you know, yeah. I guess we have to have faith that those things are revealed to us in the timing that we need them. And in that yeah. movie, that's exactly what, what happened to him, is that, you know, when the time was right, and he had obstacles and all kinds of things to get there, but he got where he needed to go when the time was right, and it all revealed itself to him what these things meant. Yeah, and that was a, a great film. And like I mentioned, they just did the 40-year anniversary, so they re-released it. So I saw it again at the theater recently, actually. Um, uh uh-huh. And you know, I love how he, you know, had this symbol in his mind, and he kept saying, "This means something. This is important." Yes. <laughs> Literally, those yes. were lines, lines that he repeated over and over again. And then, you know, he saw it on TV, right? Uh, the Devil Tower in uh, Wyoming, which was the, you know, the right. place where they eventually ended up going to. But it was like a very strong internal sensation, something that he kept coming back to. Now, in that case, that was a big clue, and it got louder and louder, and he couldn't ignore it. 
Uh, now, you know, we have things like that that come to us, not necessarily from aliens or UFOs, right, but they might be coming right. from a deeper part of ourselves. Or an inner mentor, I'll give you another example. There was a, a woman uh, named Jennifer who was in Boston doing photography for some magazine, and, you know, she was from Austin, Texas, and she was kind of unhappy with the work she was doing, and she started to hear this inner voice that said, you know, it's time to go back to Austin. And she kind of ignored it because she, she didn't have a job there, and, you know, as a photographer, you're often working freelance anyway. And she kept ignoring it, but the voice kept coming back louder and louder, and eventually it got to the point where she couldn't really ignore it. Uh, so she decided to just, you know, quit her job, move back to Austin, uh, and just take the leap. And then when she got back there, you know, she ended up meeting with an old professor of hers who agreed to fund her, her photography, wedding photography business, which is what she really wanted to do. Uh, and she had been doing a little bit of that on weekends, and she found that to be very meaningful because those were important pictures in people's lives rather than just some random picture for a tabloid, which is what her day job was. And so in this case, it was a big clue. It didn't need a lot of interpretation because it was just telling her <laughs> where to go, literally. And it kept repeating. And, and, you know, it's important that we listen to our, our, our inner voice. Uh, and, you know, Steven Spielberg has, has a great thing where he, he talks about how he tells the children that dreams whisper to us from the side. And he kind of puts his hand on the side of his ear. He says, instead, we have all this loud noise coming at us straight on. And he puts his hand in front of his head. And that makes it hard to hear this little voice coming from the side, the little whispers. And so sometimes the whispers get louder. So it is important that we, we learn to yeah. listen to those. Uh, and then we look for the intensity of those and we look for them to repeat. And that's part of the message of this book is that the clues are real. We can tune into them. Yeah. They're subjective. But if they're really important, they will repeat. So you can take a deep breath. <laughs> and, you know, you will, you will be able to listen to them. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So. And, and we, we often... Um, in the popular wisdom about synchronicity that's out there sometimes um, is um, we we sometimes think that everything has to come in a rush, <laughs> you know. And I know I know the feeling of living like that. Um, and you know, I've been out in the spiritual community for a while now, and there can be that 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 it is an impulsiveness sometimes. And yet, what you're trying to tell us, it's not that you don't act. That's important. You have to act sometimes. But yeah, we have time have to, to breathe. And I love how you say breathe. ignoring <laughs> a clue may prove futile because <laughs> it's going to come back, you know. <laughs> That's right. I mean, I'll give you, if we have time, I'll give you another example. You know, in, in one of my startups, I, I started a company, and I ended up having a dream where I saw a brochure of a product that looked like a spider with this new technology in the middle and linking out to all these different types of systems and documents. And I woke up and I thought, huh, that's an interesting use of the technology, but we were already building a, a different product with that technology. And so I said, I'm going to ignore that clue for now. <laughs> uh, and we're just going to keep building what we're building. And that was fine, but a few months later, we found that the product that we were building wasn't getting any traction. And so within six months, we, we were back to building the product that I had seen in my training, which was this kind of spider-like product that touched all these different technologies. And so there's a case where I just ignored the clue, but, you know, turns out it, it, it had already caught a glimpse of some probable future, and we ended up there anyway. And I think that's important to realize, that if it's really important for you to be somewhere, and somebody asked me this on another show, they said, you know, do you believe we end up where we were meant to be? And and my belief is we end up in one of the places that we were meant to be because I 
believe there are multiple possibilities yeah. and probabilities that we have yeah. in this life. Yeah. But, you know, if, if, if we relax, we follow the clues, we will definitely end up in, in, in one of those places that we were meant to be. And it, it, so we don't have to stress out over it. I mean, the more we stress out, the more we warp our field. And, you know, I talk a little bit about the, the yogic yeah. um, traditions where they talk about how we're, our mind and body is really a series of clear sheets that surround us. They're called kosas. And as we go through life, and if you believe in them, multiple lives, that we start to create these imperfections in these sheets so that, you know, they're called samskaras, but they're like little cataracts. And so we can't exactly see light and perceive what's happening around us correctly. We're warping it through our field. And the process of meditation and yoga are there to release, you know, some of these imperfections. And, you know, it goes further. I'd been talking about patterns and dragons for a while when I realized that there was a whole piece in the ancient yogic traditions that these, these imperfections and the way that we hold our thoughts create what are called vasanas, which are really tendencies, which gets right back to our patterns, right? We have these tendencies, good and bad, that again and again are caused by our internal patterns, which are caused by how we hold our field. And so when we're worried and we're afraid and we're trying to make everything happen all at once, we're in a state that's really warping you know, these, these sheets and causing our patterns to happen. And that's the thing that causes our patterns, the destructive patterns. But of course, as I mentioned earlier, all these patterns have a good side. And so if we can relax, learn to appreciate them, we can really get to, you know, the places that we were meant to be in this life. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, wow. As you were saying that there's, this is so powerful because what you actually said, Riz, also has to do with regret. I mean, you didn't use that term at all. But sometimes in life we can say, okay, you know, we didn't take that that path. Um, and we can we can find this in all kinds of ways. Um, um, and um, I had one early in my career, I'll tell you real quick. I was at University of mm-hmm. Illinois in 1990. It was about 1990 when this happened, and somebody – at um, a certain lab where they developed a certain thing, um, talk to me about a product that involves the net. I hated networking, mm. hated it, hated networking. And I was more of a, you know, human-computer interface kind of person, and nobody really explained to me. It was NCSA, um, someone mm. there, um, where there actually were quite a few pioneering women, by the way. I want to put that in. Um, mm. And um, yes, yes, as a matter of fact, and it was one of those women that mentioned this to me, and I didn't take that path. So many times I could say, "Oh, I could have worked with Mark Anderson." Actually, I knew someone who did. And by the way, this is we're talking in computer science code. This developed the web yep. browser as you know it. Those of you out in Blog Talk Radio land, every all the technology that you're using really on 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 in your web browser, a lot of it had its birth with this project at a, a college where I was. So, I could think all day why well, didn't take that path, you know? Wow, what would have happened? Um and but uh, you know what? I think oh, you know, I wasn't supposed to. I mean, sure, I still think that sometimes. But like you said, it's it's in a perfect example of, um, you know, we're on the path we're meant to be on. And um, and it's one of the probable paths. So um, That's right. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And we find peace you know. with it. 
I, I digressed a little bit with this story but uh, towards the end here, but we find peace. My own personal story is about finding peace with where I am, and it's like, you know, this is a really cool path right now, a different path. And so so we need to, it helps us to find peace, what you're explaining. Um, when when we breathe and we follow the clues and, and realize we are in one of the places we're meant to be, one of the places, that's very important information. Yeah, I think that's, you know, very important to keep in mind and, and it's okay to be where we are and we, we have all these unrealistic expectations about, you know, where we should be and it's not so much that we couldn't be there, it's that the process of worrying about it, right, kind of warps our right. field and makes it harder for us to listen to the clues and that's where we get into our own our own patterns, you know, and who knows, if you had gone down that path, you know, you may have gone down a different path but you may have ended up you know, in a similar place where you realized, you know, you needed to be in a place of peace and bringing in the spiritual side of things. Right? Whereas, right. you know, in, in I'm here in Silicon Valley and there's a lot of that. Oh, my God, the new technology. You have to go jump in now. You have to invest in a company. You have to do this. You have to do that. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. And, and so I spent the summer in Boston, which also has, you know, a pretty strong entrepreneurial community at MIT. But it wasn't that sense of, oh, my God, we have to jump into this now. It was a calmer pace. <laughs> And so, you know, where you yeah. are physically affects very much, you know, if you're t- tapping into these mental patterns and, and ways of doing things that, you know, they interfere with our, our health, but they also re- turn into these kind of negative patterns and we can use the anti-clues yeah. to, to help us from there. But to realize that, that it's okay, that, you know, we're probably on one of those paths and these paths merge and split and merge again. And so if it was really important, it will repeat. Uh, and, and you'll keep coming back to it. And, and most people may have a vague sense of the things they were meant to do. Um, you know, there's yeah. a story about Winston Churchill, one of his friends, when he was a kid, said, he told, you know, said that Winston told him that when he's older, he was going to be called upon to save the British Empire. And, you know, it's really interesting. Now, that was a very specific thing he he had. Most of us don't have that. We have more of a general sense. I mean, you know, some of my friends know that I, when I was in grade school or certainly high school, I'd say, oh, yeah, I'm going to be a computer entrepreneur and then a writer. And I just had this vague sense of that, but I didn't know exactly what I was going to write and exactly what I was going to do in, in the computer world because PCs were pretty new when I was in high school. Uh, yeah. But, you know, we have these general ideas and it's the things that we keep coming back to. Um, you know, I have friends who I've started companies with. We've had a very similar career path, but, you know, they're not out writing books. They just want to build companies and make money. <laughs> That's a different, you know, right. set of priorities. Right. I keep coming back to wanting to write these books and support other people in, in creating their dreams and their dream ventures. Yes. And and that's your meaningful path. I mean, it's and that their paths may be meaningful for them. And as talk about time, kind of racing up against a wall here. I want you to be able to talk very briefly, and we won't be cut off, but um, at least to the live audience about this opportunity that's out there. Um, as you say that, you want to help people with their dreams. Please give us give us a little bit of information about that, and we will continue briefly into overtime as well for the audience. Sure. So I, in conjunction with the launching of the book, I'm launching what I'm calling the Real Life Treasure Hunt, uh, and the subtitle of that is Follow Your Dreams. And the idea is that I'll be investing $20,000 into someone's dream idea, uh, but they have to have come up with that idea for a project, a business, 
creative project like a film or it could be a retail installation. Really, could be anything, any crazy idea, but they ha- you have to have feel that you were called to do this project uh, by a series of clues. Uh, and so there's yeah. a lot of information on my website, zenentrepreneur.com, uh, about the contest. Uh, but, you know, the, uh, the idea is that I wanted to invest in projects that normally uh, venture capitalists in Silicon Valley and a lot of angel investors in the tech world would not invest in. So it doesn't have to be a tech project. It could be a spiritual or conscious project, although it does have to be something that is investable. So it's kind of like Shark Tank, but without the sharks, right? So it's meant to yeah. be you know, more yeah. of a spiritual type of uh, and conscious type of project. And the investment can be in Bitcoin or in cash. Uh, and I'm looking forward to you know, what kinds of interesting projects people end up submitting. Well, it sounds it sounds like a wonderful thing that that you're doing here, Riz, and I I hope that um, people really take advantage of of exploring this because it's a rare opportunity for people. And we are in overtime now, um, which um, to those of you listening across time to this show, you've been with us all along. A lot of people listen to the podcast, and um, and so I just want to take the time here to to thank you so much for for being here today, Riz, because um, I found this to be a really fun conversation, and I'm looking forward to spending more time with your book as well, because it is a book to spend time with. Like you say, in your in your competition, you want people to to utilize the concepts in the in the book, and I can personally attest that there are powerful concepts in this book that will help people to integrate things and breathe through things that maybe they've been hearing um, in some ways and, you know, coming from different directions. And, and yet your book is helping us to to breathe through this, is to really, really listen and um, have a, a process. Um, it kind of reminds me of a software book. I have to tell you, when I first I thought, you know, it, it, has, it has steps um, in it that, that are practical, that we can follow. And that's really important. So um, I urge the audience to to explore it and take advantage of this opportunity, if so led, to do so. So so thank you, Riz, for being here. Well, thank you very much for having me on the show again. I, I really enjoyed it. And I hope some of your listeners will uh, check out the book and check out the competition uh, on my website. Yes, yes. I encourage them to visit zenentrepreneur.com, which is your website, and and thank you again, and I'll be very interested to see what comes next for you because you have an interesting path that, that I think um, we're enjoying following as well. So, um, And I'm encouraged to revisit Zen Entrepreneurship as well, your first book. I will tell you that too, which I also recommend, and, and I felt I feel led to, to explore that book again some more. So, so thank you again, Riz. You're welcome, and thanks for having me. All right. Well, take care then. Have a good day. Okay. Bye. Okay. Goodbye. Um, just a note to the audience: um, this show and all upcoming shows are out on FrontierBeyondFear.com, and um, there will be a link to to Riz's website out there. Um, and I do encourage you. To visit, and if you want to follow this show and be notified of new shows, follow the program on Blog Talk Radio. That's a good way to do so. Also, come on to Twitter. 
where I tend to be, and also Facebook. I'm I'm trying to develop a, more of a Facebook presence. I'm in both places, Twitter and Facebook, and you'll find that all on the FrontierBeyondFear.com page. Our next live show, unless I decide to do a spontaneous one in between, um, with a guest anyway, is... Monday, October 23rd at 12 noon Pacific, Lisa Kay is coming back on the show, and she's going to talk about a new book that she has about intuition, which I think will very much flow with what we've been talking about today. So so thank you for joining us in the new season of this program. The anniversary of this show is coming up. I think it's next week. Gosh, if I've forgotten the date, it, it was very spontaneous how I started this program, but it was at the end of October in 2010. So, um, And I am really enjoying continuing down this path, and thank you for being on it with me. So take care, everyone, and um, I hope you explore this book And follow your own clues to true meaning in your life and what really is true success. Take care, everyone.